Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best guild ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 55. In this episode, Andrew and Jason talk to the tag team of Russ Charles and Shawin about how sculpting models can be directed by the story, and vice versa. Hello, welcome to Singled Out, a podcast with some Gilball in. Uh, I'm Andrew, and someone else we... is... Oh, I didn't know how long we had to leave the pause this time round. Uh, 18 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I think we should leave this in as is. We'll bleep out massive, massive... Um, right, um... Come on, don't be like that. That's, that's comedy podcast gold. That was sort that of really separates us from the others. Oh, I'm going to leave it in, including my bleeping and my swearing as well. Or more work for myself. Uh, and I, this whole ramble. You're it's, Jason, it's what I'm Andrew. Also on the line, we have two guests who are... I'm Sherwin. Hello. And I'm Russ. If by now you don't know who they are, shame on you. Um, um, yeah, that's basically it. Shame on you. Um, Sherwin is the guy who writes all the fluff. Sorry, story. Um, and Russ is the sculptor. And so between them, they're responsible for basically everything you sort of see in the game. Well, almost all, apart from the artwork. And, you know, the actual end models that have rules and stuff. Because oh, that's... Those the cards, yeah, that, that's a thing. Okay, apart from those things. <laughs> <laughs> apart from those things. Um, I should come on, um, on, on the heels with, um, uh, after, after the two sort of, sort of um, Steam cons to talk about how models go from the story to being sculpted and how you can kind of incorporate parts of the story and how models look. It mainly got my interest when you're talking about Honor being sculpted, about how you're going to incorporate sort of her mason's background in the models and how you're going to kind of put sort of visual, visual cues in there to make um, the story of the model sort of carry on. And so I thought, that's interesting. I'll ask about that. So I am. So we're here. And so here we are. So here we are. Um, so where should we start? Oh, it's such Give a broad a subject. Um, do you want to start with the... Do we want to start talking about Honor or do we want to talk about some of the earlier models where we first did yeah, that. Yeah, that's process. the early ones. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that the um, the games evolved, um, as has the sort of style of models, but also the artworks evolved. I mean, um, I know neither of you two actually are responsible for the artwork. We were just talking off air a minute ago who, who, about the person who does the, the artwork. Um, he's a very nice man called Doug. Um, mm. It's really interesting how, how the artwork early on was quite a, kind of not sketchy, not so sketchy bad, but sort of the sort of the way that art was drawn was kind of, you know, uh, water strokes. And the the artwork's evolving, and it was interesting seeing on the on, on the PowerPoint of the um, keynote how the artwork. The, there's new artwork there, wasn't there? There was, yes. And it looks, mm. it looks really tight and very interesting. Is that more of the style we're going to see? So well, it's worth pointing out we did originally have a second artist originally in season one and oh, season two. Yeah, a guy called Mark Molnar. Um, and so there's some evolution there, obviously, because Mark is, uh, at the moment, it's purely Doug, I believe, uh, doing artwork for us. It is, yes. It's also, um, I mean, yeah, just dealing with Doug's art, the changes between season one and now, it's worth highlighting that, of course, a lot of the season art, season one art was produced during the, the crazy period that was Kickstarter. And so it's safe to say that partly one of the reasons for the changes is we have more time 
you more know, than a month. <laughs> yeah, Duncan <laughs> spend more than two days producing an entire team lineup. Um, but also, I think that it's clear that as with the sculpts, as with Sherwin's writing, the world has become more layered and nuanced and sophisticated. And, and the more the more material you have behind you to to draw on, the more you can you know the higher you can sort of reach going forward so i think that you can see that with doug's art you know when he sits down to draw a mason or a brewer or a or a member of the union now he's got three years worth of character development that he can draw on when he's thinking about his ideas and it all has a positive impact on the sophistication of the work you probably won't have to draw too many new members of the union Um, well that is a fair comment (laughs) um oh boo you They've got a lion now. They yeah. have got a lion. Lion's pretty cool. And a veteran. Oh no, a seasoned spigot. Yeah, I mean, what else do you want? Oh, you, you, you might not get that. That's a church model. Seasoned spigot's um, going to be uh, going to be a topic of conversation, I'm sure, because he was one of the earliest models where Sherman and I really sort of collaborated, fluff and sculpt in terms yeah, well, of. Well, let's uh, go there. Then. Should, we, should we start from the, the basic spigot? Um, spigot Mark One, I guess. And sure. Go from there. Um, so wait, I mean, I, I guess presumably. Um, Shuin wrote the story before the models made, or is it the other way around? Or uh, it can it can work in both ways. Some of the times I'll come along quite late in the process, and I'll be making models. Uh, sorry, making rules, uh, fluff for things uh, after we've got artwork and after we have models. Sometimes it'll be at the head of everything else, and sometimes it's halfway through the process. It really does depend on where we are in the cycle, um, schedule, scheduling that sort of stuff. So. But so I think Spigot, Spigot 2 is probably the first one where we actually started seeing a lot of stuff, Veteran Spigot, because there's a lots of elements that Russ managed to incorporate into that of Spigot's actual storyline. Uh, and I think that's one of the first models where we really injected a lot of that flavour into it, um, more so than obviously... So when you approach any character, obviously you have to put into them who they are, into their model um, and their story. But I think that's the first model where we put in lots and lots of very subtle hints to it. There's an awful lot of flavour in that model. Um, so, Russ did a tremendous job pulling it out. So the elements that we discussed and, and drew out in the model, um, some are to do with um, his clothing, some are to do with his physical build. Um, so a couple of things that you can spot. If you look at that model, he is a much um, heavier set, uh, uh, bulkier model than Spigot. Uh, yeah, so uh, one of the things with Spigot 2 that's worth looking at is I did... Uh, we tried to put things in there that were to do with the kit he was wearing and also like the model itself. So one of the things you'll notice with Spigot 2 is he's kind of more bulky and, and heavier set than Spigot 1. Because I had this notion that, you know, Spigot 1 is not a healthy man. He's he's drinking when he should be eating. He's he's training a lot, but he's probably underweight and a bit emaciated and, and a bit not at peak condition. Spigot 2 is meant to represent him in a much healthier state physically as well as mentally. And so that's reflected in in that element of the sculpt. And then beyond that, we started to introduce elements like it's the first time you ever see a Sulphesian church symbol is on Spigot, uh, is on Vet Spigot. He's got um, he's got the Sulphesian badge on his shoulder. He's wearing his ribbons and badges, which represent the meetings and, and attendances that he's been to to sort of work his way out of the the hell of of substance addiction that he's been suffering from and then of course he's got his crate of beer bottles this was sherwin's genius idea um you know he's literally kicking the bottle that he's he's crushing them underfoot and and pushing himself forward off them and and towards a new future so it was you know it's kind of bringing in this kind of symbolic language into the physical model was uh for me it was a really satisfying experience because it let us do things beyond hey this looks cool we were actually doing something that felt like it had some resonance and meaning um that would be linked with the story um i don't know what your take on that is showing but i certainly felt that 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 remains my favorite season two model because i think it sort of elevated the process to a new level for us no i agree i think that was it, it's just a great model all around anyway it's it's one of the better sculpts i think in the range um but I look at that model and I have not a fondness for what we achieved with that um, because I think exactly as we just said, there's loads in there um, that point to his story that are great visual indicators, but also fit in very well um, to actually just making a great model. So, um, but going forward, obviously that really unlocks a lot of the process for the rest of them as well. So that's good. Can I, can I ask a question about the, uh, the the veteran spigot as well? Uh, obviously, you were talking about um, 
the crate and the symbolism of him kicking the bottle and that was that did the story come first and drive that or did the sculpt drive the story so in that instance that's one where we talked i know matt and i certainly talked about spigot um recovering uh way way back in season one before there even was talk of a season two so Mm -hmm. as in that could be a future development for the character so I I don't know when exactly Russ got involved by uh, at first sort of you know approach you Russ, but I can certainly say that that was definitely not something where the story arc itself was definitely always set in stone. I think for him ever since season one. Right, right. I was certainly from the sculpting perspective, I was guided very very strongly by um, the story. Mm. Um, this was this was definitely a case where where story led the process for me. Um, which is great because it's um, you know it's not a constraint it's a it's a benefit for me it, it gives me another kind of it's like having another color to paint with really gives you another trigger point I guess of yeah exactly what the model, that. Model should look like you've got more uh, not visual references because you're creating the visual references but you've got written references of what the visual should look like is that right articulated well to make sense it yeah, does I think so. Yeah, fantastic. Have you? And it, can, got, it can work. Go on, Jason. No, no, go on, because my point can come later. Okay. I was going to say a good example where that can work the other way around is Young Theron, uh, which is another model we probably collaborated on after that, I think, as um, in the next one we really did. And that's where we had the story for the Young Theron. Um, that existed but when russ sat down to sculpt that we had a great visual idea of let's have him in the long uh old raylander um coat let's have him with the big knife and have him kind of looking obviously younger um and then that's the point where russ kind of started suggesting well how about we have the flag tied to his waist yep and um, uh, there, um, there you go you've answered my question which was going to be have you got any examples of the reverse process where russ has come up with an idea and you've incorporated it back into the story yeah exactly i think it. young yeah, Young Theron's probably a really good example of that where, you know, uh, we we added the the idea of the flag um, and then we discussed the possibility of him having his old uh, regimental standard. So then we got into a discussion about what that might look like and the symbology of it. I mean, it happens on models in very prosaic ways as well. You know, uh, Sherwin will message me and say, wh- wh- how would you describe the weapon on character X that you're currently sculpting? Is it this size? Is it this size? What does it look like? If I describe it as this in the story, is that accurate? So, you know, you, you get that on a very practical level. Like, you know, you know Sherwin describing uh, a character using two short daggers and I've made something carrying a pole arm. But on a more kind of, of Young Theron's a really good example. And that's obviously that's a good example, I guess, of how the teams developed. Because I know there's examples earlier on of where perhaps the story and the sculpt or the rules, one of those two or two of those three don't align so well. I know often or previously it's been referenced that like Chisel's story in season two has never really reflected what the actual rules do but i guess now you've got good at your teams developed to move forward so that you're working much more homogeneously to uh, make sure all three parts of the model or the character tie in mm, i think that's more of a uh, season one thing where we were trying desperately to get through all these various different bits and pieces yeah, that's um, what i mean you've got more time though so you're working more as a tight-knit group i guess that's my thought anyway yeah i think that's certainly true um, I would say that Chisel's perhaps not the best example. I think in Chisel's case, her story is more of a slow burn, but I definitely understand where you're coming from. Uh, okay. The one I would probably cite would be Vitriol as a great example. Yeah. Her rules, her sculpt and her art feel a little bit disjointed. It wasn't yeah. her original um, idea for the character very different. Very different. Um, her original idea for the... Um, her original idea for the model was that she was going to be a character who's had... Uh, an accident in the lab somewhere. Apparently everything's going off now. Um, she'd uh, had an accident in the lab somewhere and been showered in acid, hence the burns on the side of her skull. And uh, why I wrote her a story, having something which uh, was an accident in the lab. And she's since come back, obviously, as the uh, Lady of Smoke and so on, which we've now introduced, obviously, into the rules with the latest errata. But it's something where uh, we're working towards it. Well, it's interesting the alchemist um, fluff right now because, um, especially with Vitriol, just seems all falling apart <laughs> as a guild. So, yeah, she's going through a tough time. Um, it's interesting with Vitriol; she's very transitional at the moment. So her story is that she is 
obviously she's just had this real falling from grace um, into drug addiction and various other things. And uh, we now, sorry, we, go. I was going to say we're now going to find ourselves. Um, I think, as I've hinted at some of the in the, some of the seminars, a doomsday cult. Can I just point out again, talking about crazy symbolism layers, how great is it that Sherwin has created an alchemist guild that's made up entirely of volatile elements? (laughs) 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 Science joke. (laughs) Um, How about the union in chains then? I guess that's quite a big deal. Yeah, this one was definitely the very collaborative thing. And I think that's somewhere in the middle of Young Theron and uh, Spigot. As in, uh, for the most part, I think Russ and I sat down and had a very sensible conversation about visually what we wanted these models to look like. Um, and then it was more a case of, in this particular one, Russ would sit down, sort of, you know, work on the model for X amount of time until we got it to a stage of, this is our core based on our original visual. And then we'd sit there simply as much as we are now, really, discussing what we could drop in and out of the model to kind of really give it a little bit extra character, steer it in a story direction, that sort of stuff. Um because obviously with these models, there was some hinting that we wanted to do at the future rather than stuff to represent uh, existing story. Because obviously yeah. they didn't have existing story as such as they were becoming. So, yeah, we were kind of sort of projecting forward hooks and elements that could um, then be picked up into uh, a story feature. So we say um, the, the and... might have clues for things happening in the future that we haven't seen yet. The most obvious one of which we could think about is Harry's mechanical arm. Yes. I was going to say, isn't it uh, another example? Well, that was the one I was just about to pick up on, that you uh, were quite keen to hint in your seminar that people hadn't been looking at the Minx sculpt quite clear enough, uh, intensely enough. I know, if you guys don't pick up on the little hints we put in, we'll stop putting them in. Yeah, the little <laughs> Easter eggs that are here and there are very good. Yeah, I think, uh, thinking about those those models, I think there is a there is at least one sort of kind of hidden element easter egg type thing on every single one of those models um mm. some some of that stuff has serious potential story meaning for the future some of that stuff is just there for our own kind of whimsy and amusement as well sometimes well, there is so this i think we always do lots of little bits and pieces those of you who read the union chain stories the uh, the epilogues as it were uh, will remember that in minx's vision a falcon swoops into the clearing to give her a vision and her direction of where she's going next yep um yeah. which didn't probably have any meaning to anybody reading it until about two weeks later and then suddenly has every meaning. And I think everyone's pointed out in Gutter's... Is it Gutter's story? Yeah, that, that, that guy yeah, behind that, Ox. That, everyone's that, trying to work out who he is. Oh, that guy. Oh, that guy. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> oh, that guy. So, in a way, what you're saying is the Union and Chain sculpts are your own little Da Vinci code. Uh, I'm saying that those... Have I'd like to hope we'd like achieved a high level of quality. Yeah, much, much, much like with everything, we try to put in little nods and little Easter eggs for people as we go along uh, for people yeah. to find, because that way you're rewarded for reading it. Um, I had more than a, I had more than a few people come up to me at both Steam Cons uh, wanting to talk to me about what they thought was happening with uh, Rage as a result of the story that came out and definitely Steam Con US after there's more of the story then. So, um, yeah, it's nice. I like I like the debate between people. I think the thing that I found very exciting for the pair of us for Union and Chains is outside of sort of show specials, which normally are just, you know, reposes. Um, this was the first time where we really had carte blanche to design models from the whole cloth ourselves. Normally, you know, there is always a, a core piece of artwork from, from these days from Doug, um, that would kick the process off for us and, and a pose reference from Matt. Um, but this was the first time where, Sherman and I were really allowed to just kind of just play um, and, and see see what we could produce and 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 you know in terms of the sculpts and the stories and, and see where where that process took us and I'm really really happy with where all of the models have ended up. The one that mysteriously wasn't shown at Steam, Steamcon USA, um, they've all they they all look great now. Yeah, no, I've. I've... I absolutely agree. the uh, The process for the Union Chains models was a lot of fun. Um, that really was, you know, kind of getting to. Uh, I, it's interesting because that one we will find ourselves influencing what the rules are through the sculpts and influencing the art, which is a slightly different way around of doing it. I don't think it's any less any more vulnerable or any less correct. I think it's an interesting approach that we've not tried before, and um, 
I, I think at the same time it's been really useful because obviously it gives the design team, also the development team, um, a really good indication of you know a, good, a great starting point. That's not to say they normally struggle with that stuff by any means, but it gives them a very it'll be an interesting challenge for those guys now, having had this is the model you're making the rules for. Um, we'll see here. We'll see whether going forward, whether that's a fun process for them as much as it is for us. The other side of things, normally looking to see a model or getting to see some rules and trying to go backwards from there. And I was just going to say, so we on the union change things. We know that the um, obviously the, the obvious example is like with, with decimate that the, the design process of the renders was quite fluid. So you had the design and they changed. I can't remember, and you may or may not be able to say on this show, but was the storyline quite fluid, or had you already written like? If at stage, if at week three, uh, brewers are ahead, this decimate story comes out, or this decimate. So was there like two parts already written, or did you have to do like you did with the butchers, which is write it a bit more on the fly? No, the whole thing is already the whole thing is already done. Um, so I've got four story pieces that are uh, no three three story pieces that will not see the light of day um, as a result of this. Much like the sculpts, which you I know you guys are desperate to ask about. Um, so will, will we get access to those sculpts? Sorry, will we get access? Will we get access to the um, story that didn't get released? Is that going to come out at some point? Uh, They'll come we'll out at the same gonna, time the sculpts do. Uh, what we'll do is the same time we the same time we upload an image of us pre- having printed those sculpts, smashing them to pieces with a hammer. Uh, we'll also show us throwing those into those uh, scripts into a burning bin. Who was it? One, someone that. said. I can't remember if it was Russ or, or one of you said somewhere that. They they wanted to put a video footage, a short clip up on the Steamforge um, blog of Ross just deleting the files, <laughs> like, the renders, yeah, being like, no, dragging them to my recycled bin. They're gone. Think, they're gone. That sounds like a live stream would be the better way of doing that. I, I uh, we can get real audience participation. <laughs> uh, and then, like amazing. twenty years time, someone will be digging in the desert in Utah to, you know, find yeah. five thousand copies of uh, of of fish gutter buried with some ET cartridges. Yeah, yeah, that sounds entertaining. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know what Chairman feels about this. I don't actually feel that saddened that those sculpts are going because they were not finished for this very reason. Um, and in the last sort of ten percent of quality takes all the. Effort. But also, that was always the plan. That was always the intent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Strange bait and switch. It's like um, I'm sure Sherwin's got on his uh, study floor or whatever cave it is that he works away with his quillin parchment under the candlelight there'll be plenty of story that hasn't made the final daylight yeah i think so the way i the way i'd look at it is i would say that those models are really and that story is really part of the creative process i think uh, yeah something like that i would say those models are very i mean creating anything is is obviously a very organic process um, it can never be driven truly too much by kind of this uh, predetermined sort of structure or template. You always have to inject a little bit of flavour into it some way. And I think even writing the epilogues for players where they didn't actually go necessarily in that direction and kind of exploring alternatives for them is good because that way you can kind of really feel that you want to push more away from that, you want to get closer to that, or you know, that's more what the character feels like. All you're effectively doing is you're fleshing out the character in other directions um, you're still writing to their nature. You're still writing to who that character is. If you then don't end up ultimately going in that direction, it doesn't matter. That still exists in your mind as, you know, I've, I've created this person. The Decimate Mason one, for example, is a, you know, it, it had a side of Decimate that you certainly don't see um, with the Brewers epilogue. And it didn't feel any less Decimate. It just is more confirmed for me, kind of building how the character develops and that sort of stuff. Um, the, the gutter fisherman is gutter going in a different direction it's no less gutter it's no more gutter it's just the difference of what it is um and i think that's and it's the same with the models you're kind of exploring ideas and exactly as you say they're early drafts they're what could have been there that sort of stuff they're no less important or vital to that that thing it's the same as if rust decided to sculpt a model and I, I imagine rust doesn't do this but i certainly can do occasionally with writing is that you perhaps you'll, you'll start seeing something and at some point you'll just have to sit and go this is not going in the direction I wanted it to, you know, and you start again or you take out and sort of draft in elements that you do like from what you've done until eventually you end up with something much stronger. That's a good point. Do you ever have sort of models where you sort of half decide them and you go, no, this isn't working. And sort of I, I can 100% again. confirm that that is the case. Yes. Um, it doesn't happen as often now because I feel that I, I understand the Guild Ball world better 
but it does still happen. I'm certainly not immune to it. And certainly in the early days when things were much more exploratory and, and as you mentioned, our artwork was a lot more loose and interpretive. Um, I, I've made models. I mean, I think Shark probably had three or four versions before we landed That's on one. How's, how's it, how's it different? Um, process, isn't it? But... Version one. Yeah, no, no. Version one of Shark. Um, my proportions were a bit off and the pose was a bit funny and he basically looked like uh, a, a sort of discount version of Aquaman and it really wasn't working. Um, and so that got scrapped and, and we we pushed in a different direction and what we ended up with was much more successful and it needed to be because the the process that we went through with those first teams was the captain was done first and it kind of defined the aesthetic that the team would then hang off so it was really very very important that we got that model spot on so that we could uh carry forward off that with what the other fish uh players were going to look like um so that's one that springs to mind but i mean if you looked at my hard drive i'm i'm a big fan of of iterative saves so i don't save over my work i save a new version so you know version 28 29 30 whatever it is and some of the early versions of that will look radically different to the model that gets released because something's not working so we'll change the pose change some core details um it's as Sherwin says that's just part of the process part of making sure that what we actually finally put out is the best model that we can release it's interesting you mentioned shark because obviously the fishermen's sort of plastic scoops have been shown. Um, yes, they have. And so I guess we, I guess revisiting the guild uh, as as a much more experienced sculptor. Must be it's amazing. It's it's the best feeling ever um, to be able to go in and go right. This model I'm broadly happy with, and so I just want to adjust a few minor elements. And this model I've been waiting two years to fix. It's like what model was that there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why is that model doing that? Why, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's been really interesting. We've started looking at some of the other sculpts which we showed at Steamcon USA, just to sort of walk that process through some of the different guild aesthetics and see see how it would would look and how it would apply. Yeah, the brisket uh, looked very different, didn't it? Yeah, um, she's one of the really interesting things that you that I I have done and shown Sherwin and Matt is you put all of the briskets side by side and you can really see her character progression from this sort of slightly naive, innocent, um, sort of apple-cheeked, happy girl to this kind of lean, athletic fighter. Uh, and, and you can see that process. And once I put all three side by side, I realised I really actually wanted to play play off that a little more and double down on it. And that meant making the earliest version of a feel just a little bit more nonchalant and a little bit more... Um, just you know, she doesn't have a care at that point, and then you know that it helps tell the story of the additional burden that layers onto her. Which you can make the case is again that's that's the sculpt being driven by the story because that's me understanding her pack character arc that Sherwin has given her, and being able to retrospectively go back and make sure that the starting point of that resonates more strongly with with that storyline. Yeah, I guess the, the ability to re-sculpt models um, once you've sort of got the benefit of hindsight is a, is a rare thing, isn't it, really? It really is. Um, it's dangerous because, you know, you just endlessly want to go and fix things. But uh, as long as you can be a bit self-disciplined about it, you can go in and say, right, you know, taking the fishermen, for example, for an example, there were maybe, I mean, every single one of those models had changes, but big changes i think nine out of the 12 eight out of the 12 i mean tentacles basically stayed the same, Hag yeah, matt, stayed mentioned, the same. matt mentioned um jack um changed a bit in the um interview we gave with him gave with him i think he changed, yeah yeah changed jack, jack looked a bit more um self-assured and one of the things that we wanted to do was give him in his artwork he, he wears like a tabard that's got the guild logo on it um and uh i introduced that element to the character there's there's been a more of um more of a move to making sure that the players wear their guild symbols, which was not something that we really did before the Brewers. And that was actually because um, the Brewer art was the first art that featured a symbol for the character. Because at the point I was sculpting the models, bearing in mind the rulebook hadn't released, there there were no guild symbols. So I couldn't include guild symbols unless I invented them. Um, so one of the opportunities is to go back to the earliest players and increase the sense of guild identity, which I think is a really strong thing to do. So I've got a question for Sherwin, and I suspect I probably already know the answer. I mean, obviously we're now talking to Russ about his ability to go back and be able to change 
how a model physically looks. Have you got any that you've either because of the sculpts that have come out now or just because of how the game's gone? Are there any models that you think you wish you could go back and tweak what you wrote about them? Because obviously that's a lot harder to do because you're rewriting history and we're not a can't just do that. 30 minutes. What? What's wrong with that? The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, so, no, that's so, yes. Uh, and the interesting part, the, the flip side of that, what I get to do is at some point when I uh, have a bit more time, uh, I'll resume it again. Already having worked through some of it is the anthology work that I'm doing, uh, which is going through season one and two and re-editing and adding bits and pieces to the story, that sort of stuff. So will that um, literally be a story from start to finish, will it, in terms of the fluff that's been out already? Is it going to be a, a new, new material? Uh, there will be some. I'm looking. I want. Uh, I'd love to add some new material in there now. In two ways. First way, I'd love to add little bits and pieces. In fact, I am adding bits and pieces to the stories themselves to make them flow better. To just, impre- just in terms of the improvements I've made as a writer over the time since I wrote the season one stuff. Um, just changing the, the sort of prose a little bit, uh, working through and ultimately adapting it to make it a little bit more like the uh, the familiar Guildhall universe we have. Uh, because at the time, obviously, there was no Guild Ball. Um, some of that stuff was wrote when we had an idea that, uh, for example, Guild Ball would be played in the city streets. So if you read some of the story parts in there, then it's actually set inside of, it's actually set in a, in a busy city where there's running between buildings and alleys and stuff like that. Um, so there are some changes to it. Um, I've always loved to see something like that in the game. Just well, it's, really it's what we originally discussed. The, to give you an idea, the original rules that I first saw uh, as given to me, scribbled on a couple of sheets of A4 that Matt looked like Matt had in his back pocket of his jeans for about three weeks. They're sort of stained blue around the edges. Uh, I first saw had I think four pages worth of rules for terrain. Just oh, give you an idea just how much there was. Yeah, this is obviously very proto Gilball. Um, yeah, yeah, and there was even rules for oceans in that, not just water. Not deep water, shallow water. There's also rules for oceans where you could kick the ball into it and someone would have to swim out to go get it and there was a possibility <laughs> they might drown. Um, there's all sorts of rules um, that were in there because we were just trying yeah, everything to see what fit. And um, yeah, so we had that. And uh, But no, some of, the, some of the rules have changed around. But one of the interesting part is, is that obviously I get to go back and revisit that in terms of changing little bits and pieces, adding new stuff in. I also get to hopefully um, write a few new pieces to fit in alongside those to give more of a feel for the story where they're a bit lacking. So yeah, I'm hoping that happens. In terms of characters I'd like to go back to, uh, Vitriol we already mentioned is definitely one. Um, yeah. And I think I need to redefine the relationship between Mist uh, and Siren, which is something which I think is just... There's no real bad sense to it. I just think both the characters, well, have mostly missed, have evolved beyond that. Their story arc's gone in a different direction to where it was in season one. So I think it just needs to be subtly sort of nudged to, re- to reflect that. I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah, there's something, I know this isn't a rules um, discussion, though. I always thought it'd be interesting if the game uh, looked at having weather effects on the pitch, maybe not in the tournament setting, but it'd be interesting to see how. We could make like uh, a frosty day, an extra hot day. How that would actually imp- impact on the gameplay, much like a plot card, just some sort of random overall effect on the table. Sure. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just my thought. Obviously, no one else thinks that. Oh, was a great podcast. You can edit that bit out. <laughs> no, that that's saying. The, the bit about America that can stay in, but the bit about my uh, maybe that's why I'm not on the design team. <laughs> I think they're, they're, they're sort of things can be basically done with the plot cards, can't they? Maybe they are in the future. You never know, do you? Mm. Especially with the new plot cards, how they're going to be basically uh, powers that last the entire turn um, with, with initiative values and things. They could easily have global effects, couldn't they? They could. I mean, I'm not saying they do or they don't, because honestly, I've not read them. But I think there's a that sometimes global effects sound like a great idea, but it's a bit of a zero-sum game, because if everybody's affected by the same thing, then it's like nobody... It's, you know, like in the... Incredible yeah, story right. says if everyone's special, then nobody is. Yes, fair play. <clears throat> See, no, that would have been a good answer to my weather question. It was. <laughs> right, back on top of it. So let's um let's go to the models that were designed at the two Steam Cons then. Let's start with the the um, the, the important one first about honour. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so you I mean you, you, I, I mentioned it briefly in the last podcast, or actually in the last one point one poor last one, um, about sort of some things you mentioned while designing her, about the sort of visual cues on the model. 
and and since uh, since you sort of did that and designed it, you obviously created the the cutest dog ever seen. Yeah, he's an interesting yeah. one. The dog. Um, I'll just wanted to say as a quick aside. That's the first time where I've ever done a render with multicolored elements because I put the patches on the dog. I put the the black and white patterning on the dog because we discovered that if you don't actually have the black and white patterning on a border collie, it looks like a Alsatian. Um, so when I rendered it just one color, it didn't look like a sheepdog. I had to render it with the black and white patches to to actually have it look like the dog that we it's wanted it. Dogs harder than people, but it is. Yes, isn't it? yeah. Sculpting any animal um, realistically is harder than people for the well okay so with people we're all intimately familiar with people we see them every day it's it's you know 95 percent of your interactions will be with other human beings unless you are a zookeeper um so we so the the flip side of that is people know if you get it wrong but i have become quite proficient at sculpting people because that's the main bulk of the work um we're not asked to do animals very often so i don't have the same sort of library of skills to draw on so it takes a bit more effort going in but it's really satisfying it's really enjoyable to get to do something different it's one of the reasons i enjoyed doing faris so much because i've not done a horse until i did her um so yeah (laughs) any time i get to do an animal it's it's kind of cool (laughs) it's just become very benny hill didn't it (laughs) oh jason i've just i've just tracked back through what i said (coughs) you should be ashamed of yourself I'm not. I'm really not. No, you're really not. Are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Man who feels no shame. Where's Martin? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So with honour. Um, yeah. Lovely dog. Um, really happy that we got to introduce that element. Um, now that was one where definitely the sculpt's going to have to inform the story because the sculpt was, except in the broadest of strokes, that that she didn't have. Um, she didn't have a story. She just had a kind of a high level concept um so honor was actually honestly quite a relief um that she came up as she did in the story sorry in the, in the seminar purely because that's actually a direction that i wanted to take her in the story and had even sort of suggested in the past and there's no mistake it's no real surprise that uh when we off when we sort of have these seminars that people pick up on them and sort of go in one direction or t'other it's purely because obviously they're picking up on the feed left over from the story and the sculpts and the visual clues that we've left for them and uh you guys by creating the honor story or furthering it yourselves you really kind of pushed it more in the direction it was already going um, i know the original oh, suggestion welcome. from uh, from someone was they wanted to see her back as a mason because they have no clue about the story Sorry. and um it's all right um <laughs> But the point is, is that um, she was clearly going to be a farmer, and I'm very happy that she, yeah that we confirmed that effectively with the sculpt. Um, so that one's really cool. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun to work on, and as that seminar as that seminar went on, I kind of increasingly felt very happy that not only were we taking it in a positive direction, it was obviously great to hear you guys have some input as well, but also that that everyone has obviously enjoyed what Honor was doing as a character. That was kind of a nice feeling that that people were really appreciative of that to the point where they wanted it to carry on and wanted it to keep on evolving, uh, which nicely brings us on to veteran Cena. <laughs> See, I'll, a little I'll, bit I'll more mention Cena actually, uh, but now, now you have, you can carry on. Well, you about started it. off by saying let's talk about the two models from Steamcons. So. Yeah, but I wasn't going to mention Cena. Okay, well, Cena oh. was a little bit more. So Cena is represents something a little bit more difficult for us because it's. It forces us to confirm something story in terms of the story uh, that I don't think we really want to. Or how did I put it? I think I don't enjoy being forced to confront ambiguity, which is what the, the magic thing. Yes. Now I think that's obviously a deliberate thing. Anybody who's ever had a conversation with me about magic in our setting will know that we've gone to great pains to kind of keep it nice and ambiguous. You know, is scalpel really a spirit weaver, sort of you know moving souls around, or is she literally just, or is she absolutely? Yeah, crazy. Does, uh, does Obulus mind. really float, or is he just jumping? Exactly. Uh, whereas a giant ghost bear forces us to confront that in a very different way. So I, that's that's one thing. Um, but in truth, that seminar was interesting because it did pick up on something which we'd already hinted at in the story anyway. Is is Cena actually a bear? Is it a soul trapped inside a bear? Uh, which we'd said in the past, obviously in rumored uh, hushed tones. But I think it kind of went a bit too far in terms of. Pushing it and saying, "Let's make this actually a thing. Let's confront that. Let's make you know. Let, let's force that decision upon us." And I think what's interesting has been the wider Gilbert community has has come back to us since then and said, "We don't really want 
to do that. Yeah, we'd much rather know outside of, um, yeah, we don't really want to have yeah, such a visual confirmation, as it were. People like the uh, uncertainty of that. I think everybody in the design team and the creative team is very much aware that we are, beholden to is probably stronger term, but we're very much aware that this was the community's designer character seminar. This was the community kind of giving us what they want us to work with. And with that in mind, we do have to be respectful of that. No, that's okay. And this is why you don't give the general public a say. Democracy doesn't work. No sigh from Andrew. That's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not getting edited out. Right, finally I found where the line is in the sand. <laughs> um, no, in all, in, in all seriousness, it's we've got, we will we'll be very respective of obviously what people have created and what people want to see. We will be. But at the same time, there is always the caveat that we do ultimately need to make the game that everyone knows and loves from these yeah, from what comes from these seminars. And Cena will be a more difficult one to integrate than what Honor would be, for example, or what Skulk was last year. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that Cena won't appear uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Just may have a different slant or maybe yeah, we'll approach it in a different way. Ultimately, just like when we say about the rules, where we playtest things and come up with different ideas, uh, sometimes things don't work and you have to go back to the drawing board and go from there. And the same is true of sculpting, the same is true of writing. Well, certainly, as far as I can remember from what I saw of Skulk last year, the model we have now is very different to the model we had then in terms of rules and things. I think that's fair. Um, but, I mean, yeah, the, the I think originally he was a striker who had a kick, then anybody on the ball path picked up the disease condition. And very, yeah, it's, it's a very sort of different character, I think. But um, ultimately, obviously, the Skulk's very similar, but obviously much more improved in terms of um, more polished. Well, stuff. he had to look a little bit more like Jason, uh, is the real reason why he had to change <laughs> yeah. around. Oh, and I thank keep... you for the photographs, by the way, Andrew. They were really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I keep it. Fluff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I, I just I enjoy reading all of the story, to be honest. I, get, I look forward to reading all the story and looking at the, the, uh, the new sculpts. It's definitely progressed. It's definitely going in a very positive direction. I actually read the story. Sometimes it takes me a little while. I don't always take it in, but I do like it. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of stories with pictures that help Jason learn, um, wasn't there also mention of comic? Yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to the momentous dodge part of my playbook, I'm afraid. Red line, quick, reverse. That's why um, Matt Hart's got on his phone, he's got that sound of a dog barking, doesn't he? So when he gets asked a question he doesn't like, he just plays uh, the dog. We've noticed that Russ has done that a couple of times in this one as well, yeah. Yeah, I've got an important message to answer. <laughs> and then shortly afterwards, there's another comment on the Brewers forum from Russ, so I, I can't make the link. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. It's I'm I'm not biased in favour of any particular guild. Um, so you've been play, playing some um, blacksmith recently, Russ? Uh, I have been painting some blacksmiths. I've had a grand total of two games with them. I absolutely love them. I'm What's your favourite six then, right now? Do you have a favourite six? I do. Uh, um, well, I have a favourite four, and then a flexible two. My my core four is ferrite iron. Um, uh, get off. Sorry, I've just been assaulted by by a very excited Spaniel. My favourite four is ferrite, iron, alloy, hearth, and then I am partial to ferris and bolts or burnished or cast. Because I know a lot of people don't like burnish, but I think he's brilliant. I love cool. I've, played, I've played against him and he's pretty, uh, he's pretty rough into certain matchups, yeah. So I would take him for days against people like uh, engineers or um, uh, morticians. Because he, then it's just he can bounce funny. dead bolts and he can bounce uh, Puppet Master Gonti. Yeah. I, I actually think his um, his reduction ability is completely underestimated. I've played against, or certainly from what I've seen, like I've played against them a couple of times, once with Hunters and once with Engineers. And the amount of times I've like maybe stacked the deck for either, or say the amount of times I've only played them twice, but the times I've stacked the deck for a Cena charge or maybe... Uh, velocity to go in on someone and then uh, they just go reduction no longer knocked down no longer snared yep it's yep. like ah okay that makes life a little bit harder especially when you're trying to hit a model that either doesn't need to move very far or has already activated and you've just basically left them in the dirt and then they're fine they're not caring about that one point of damage they might take yeah that's cool can i ask so like bolts or a very different change in your in something that we've never seen designed on the model before is having like the flying sticks underneath it. Yes. What was, how, how did that come about then having a, cause it's just such a different, 
like we've seen model i don't really know how to articulate it because like we've seen models like grace and alloy that are Moo and Zarola a bit's got something underneath so they've got a bit of terrain that they're interacting with whereas Bolt's just like hurdling nothing I, I just find that quite an interesting departure from anything you've done before having like so we've not shown Bolt's art in isolation but the art when it arrived is extremely oh, reminiscent of that pose he is it's he's running yeah. directly towards the viewer and he is clearing you know he's he's clearly about six feet off the ground he's he's flying through the air yeah. and um we had a discussion about putting like a smoke coil and all the rest of it. And then um, because of working with the new material, I contacted our production um, advisor um, mm-hmm. in China and they said, well, you could do this and you could do that, but we can also do this. And they sent me pictures of um, basically the, the very rods that he now has. And mm. it was like, you know, level two. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I kind of embraced that, and uh, I'm I'm really happy with Bolt. I'm painting mine at the moment with masking tape around the rods. Um, yeah. yeah, that's and, the only criticism I think people yeah, have, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, turns out that you know half an inch of masking tape solves that problem. Um, mm. So I, I don't think he'll be the last figure that we use that kind of tech on because it's pretty cool. Okay, interesting. Walking. <laughs> release the spaniel confirmed Betsy can fly maybe Betsy yeah. can fly yeah that, that yeah. seems that's Air well in the power level it's got, it's got a rocket pack on it I, I suspect that there'll be something in the falconers guild then that would be my um, maybe a falcon giant, giant leaf I, I think it's going to be a sack of pigeons on a stand being <laughs> not a flock a sack <laughs> definitely no, a sack. that's their range style so I think their captain's going to have like a um, a, big bruiser, a big bruiser captain with a big bag of birds that he can people with yeah I think people have completely a bit like the blacksmiths everyone thought they were going to be like a really bruisy fighty team they're actually super football the falconers what they actually do they're all like six foot hench guys all about the game to just launch sacks of launch sacks of pigeons somebody said to me um the other day which made me chuckle that now that we've established clearly with the last two guilds that every guild has to have a mad old woman in it that they can't wait for the falconers old lady covered in droppings with pigeons sticking out (laughs) every pocket carrying a big bag of seeds I actually, um, I work with a guy who's a pigeon fancier, and and I mean, I'm not going to say that he ticks every stereotype of the Norfolk bumpkin, but the uh, he does tick all of the stereotypes of the Norfolk bumpkin. And <laughs> <laughs> he come, uh, you know, he, he's a lovely guy, but he's called Eugene, but I can't understand a word he says. And uh, he, um, yeah, he goes pigeon racing every day. As in, he races pigeons, or he races pigeons. He goes and lets them out of their coots or coops or whatever they're called, and off they go. And then apparently like, they come back again a little while later. And I don't. Know, it doesn't sound like the same pigeons. Well, they've probably got a GoPro <laughs> on them or something. But this is my point. It doesn't really seem like much of a spectator sport. <laughs> no, it's it's very unusual. It's like watching golf on the telly. Like the bloke hits the ball, then you look at the sky for about thirty seconds, and then you look at the green, and there's the ball again. Mm. Anyway. I yeah. Uh... I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just went off on a bit of a tangent there because I was thinking about the falconers and then pigeons. I can tell yeah. you I had a lot of fun with morticians this weekend, just been. Oh, yeah? yeah. Uh, I saw you put some messages up about that. You yeah, vile swarming were... people. I love that that's now a noun. A yeah. verb, even. Vile yeah. swarm? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I thought I would try... I thought I would have some fun with the Spirit Weaver box. So I did. It was fun. See, so I did. Um... I I agree. I don't think Vile Swarm's inherently bad. I think the the reason that Vile Swarm gets a bad press is because Vet Graves gets a bad press and Vile Swarm's interaction is with Vet Graves. Ipso facto, Vile Swarm is tarred as being bad in itself when it's just got a bit of a... Ah, in truth, I used, I used both of those models all weekend and were thoroughly impressed with them. They were so, a lot of fun. How yeah. were they? Uh, how was that grave then? Was he um, grave digging people and stuff? Uh, mostly, he, he totally grave digging people. Um, I think he scored. I kept track of it. I I was undefeated over the weekend. Um, they scored majority of my points that weren't. In fact, all of my points nearly uh, that weren't scored by a scalpel. The other ones came from Bonesaw. So 
was but good. you were accused of not taking the game seriously enough playing that lineup, weren't you? Yeah. How dare you have fun? Uh, I was. Yeah. I was literally just as Vile Swarm ate Ferrite, a gravedigger Ferrite. Um, nice. It was fun. It's. It's. I. I don't know. As anybody who's played me, I when I play Guild Wars, I have a lot of fun. And uh, one of the entertaining parts for me is taking stuff that isn't regarded as the best and seeing how far you can push it. And honestly, this weekend was fun for me in that I got to play a whole bunch of games against new people, um, which is always nice. And against those people, I got to choose models they don't normally see. And I think that was fun for everybody involved. So, Did you use Skulk much? Yeah, I used Skulk in most of the games. I thought I'd give my uh, proto rat catchers a run out, which is... Uh, Hence, veteran graves, uh, bone saw, and skulk. I had some fun with those guys, and because they are rookie league games, I had to use ghast. Um, because yeah. ghast is ghast. Although I probably wouldn't take him in the normal team. But um, no, I, yeah, don't I don't think he necessarily fits a scalpel so well. I feel like you want casket. Yeah, getting the box with with scalpel's good. Which version of ghast did you use, Sherwin? Uh, I used the grasping terror. I think is the uh, is the one, the one that has ultimately levels up to have a three inch melee range. Um, is that and... with a six inch chain grab who can pull level towards him? Yes, that is, and <laughs> he's the one uh, on the back of his card. He has fear still and makes it more difficult for people to do things while they're within six inches of him. Although to be fair, I didn't get to see that ghast except for one game. Because when I play Rookie League, I have all the cards for my player in front of me um, because I'm dipping in and out of the casual player arena as and when time permits and generally would match whatever my level my opponent had reached. So if they'd reached a 4-3, then I'd just have a 4-3 Ghast, for example. Uh, if they you know, had played a 1-2, then it'd be a 1-2. So neat. I kind of went backwards and forwards, depending on where it was for parity's sake. So I only actually got to use a 5-5 Ghast in my very last game, but that was quite broken. Yeah, I think that's a very good way of doing it, actually, because when I played it, I sort of I smashed it out a bit on the Friday. And by the Saturday morning, I was, my Fangtooth was a little bit more advanced than some of the people's characters I was playing against. It did sort of snowball the game quite quickly. Yeah, the rookies are supposed to be fun like that, but if you break yeah. the system as you did, then it kind of yeah, it, it falls down. And I thought, unfortunately, there's never going to be a design that stops... Yeah, sort of level of tryharding. If someone desperately wants to win as much as you do, then that's for sure what happens. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a bit of an irony that the uh, most popular format that we took to an open playroom probably is the format that suits a tournament type or a league type more than an open playroom. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Rookie League is an awful lot of fun. Uh, it's no, it's, it, it's no, um, it's no surprise. I don't think that everybody enjoyed it so much, and we'll, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of it next year. Um, because everyone thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Um, yeah, there's an awful lot of good positive feedback and very, very little uh, bad from it. Um, even your opponents, I imagine, in their game where you kind of turned up with broken thank to, probably sat there and went, well, you know what, that was really stupidly fun, so I don't care. Yeah, not all of them looked like they were having so much fun when I was bunny hopping over all of their models, but, you know, I'm sure inside they were having a laugh. <laughs> was that literally the only thing you did with your Fangtooth? Yes, <laughs> I scored with him a couple of times because I just sort of bunny hopped all over the place, got the ball, bunny hopped. If you bunny hop up to them, knock them down, then bunny hop over to the ball, then bunny hop over to the goal. <laughs> and then you pop his heroic so he gets another two influence and then you bunny hop again. <laughs> Jason, probably kill a mountain. Yeah, you know, I'm only here to bake muffins and like win games. Well, that I struggle. Yeah, you've got to bake some muffins. Where are we going to see you guys next then? Out in the world. Uh, I might be going to an event in Cambridge this weekend, but I think the first next oh, yeah. time you probably see both of us together um, will probably be the BonesCon, I think. BonesCon. Which is an excellent segue, because I wanted to plug that. <laughs> wow. Look at us being led so easily. Yeah. I should have talked about the event on Cambridge, at Cambridge. Uh, it's sold out, isn't it? Because that's the one I'm going to. Uh, who knows? I don't know. I was told yesterday it wasn't, but we'll find out. All right. I think it's Rise of the Thresher. BonesCon. When is that? Is that? Yeah, I was going to plug it because there's three days of Guild Ball, isn't there? Uh, well, it's a, it's a it's a con as well. So there's other other game systems are available if you are that way inclined. I believe um, that um, it's been confirmed that it'll also have some. Um, well, two of the uh, guys that are running Guild Ball are agitating very hard to be running some God Tier type stuff there as well. So oh, really? super well, exciting. I guess, I guess by then the um, the um, Platus pack will be available, will be well on sale because it's going on sale the January the twentieth, isn't it? Or... Yeah, and I think that they're, they're intending to basically bring their stuff along and, and get stuff. And who knows? 
regardless, it'll be there in some some shape or form. I'm sure that'll be and talk be about sculpting that will be it will be time for time for another day, another day in the future. At I, some I point. think so, yes. Um but yeah, they're they're doing some Gilball there, quite a lot of Gilball going on. Um Sherwin's gonna be there, I'm gonna be there. Matt's talking about going, but his schedule is, you know, inevitably crazy. Um Does um, does anyone want to plug the date? Because <laughs> we're just talking uh, about it. How about we look it up? 16th of February to the 18th of February. I haven't just looked it up it's on my phone. It's Birmingham, um, Hilton, basically next to the NEC. It's the same place as where the UK Games Expo is. Um, so for the people who haven't who aren't necessarily familiar with the history of BonesCon, or the, indeed the event it was before, which is Smokon, um, Smokon uh, is, is actually the, is the first. It's the first time in the world that anyone in the wider world actually saw Guildball. Uh, if we go yes. back a few years. Uh, Matt and Rich turned up. It was the first time I actually met Rich after I started writing. Um, it was uh, the first time that we took out the game and showed it to people. Um, back when it was that back, weekend, back, didn't it? Uh, it may well have done. It was yeah, back it in when it was in uh, Guildford, and that was a very good. It's a very good event. It's um, it's it originally was a multi-systems format. They changed it when they went away from that for a couple of years, but they're now back to it. Um, but I can thoroughly recommend it. It's very much an American convention in terms of its design. Um, so there is, I don't think they've got 24 hour gaming this time because the venue is a bit funny about that stuff, but there's certainly gaming late into the evening. Uh, there's casual play areas, there's tournaments going on. It will normally inevitably have a fantastic atmosphere, uh, which isn't to say everyone gets drunk um, and hangs out somewhere. It's more like there's just a great, you know, everyone's there to play toy soldiers and that's exactly what it'll be. I would thoroughly recommend that sort of event to anybody. Um, I've had a great. lot of fun going to that over the years. I've been to it, I think I've I've been to four, and I've thoroughly enjoyed every single one. Even there was one year where I didn't leave the casual playroom. I basically spent the entire time in the atrium next to the fish, the goldfish pond um, hmm. doing, you know, uh, casual board games, card games, role-playing, painting models, chatting with people. I took my portable computer along, did a bit of sculpting, um, had a blast. I did. Um, I've done a miniature for them a couple of years. We're gonna. I'm gonna look at doing one for them this year. I'm currently chatting to the organisers about it. It's it's a blast. If you haven't got a ticket, I think tickets are still available. So it's well are, worth yes, it. It's such a good such a good event. I I think my story of that is I think uh, much like you a couple of years ago, uh, back when we were playing a game called War Machine, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. Dan Harwood and I uh, entered a challenge to see who could play the most games, which uh, I ended up on 26 games over the course of a weekend, which nice. was, and that's, that was stopping to go to seminars as well in between, which was kind of fun. So um, yeah, that was interesting. Not much sleep, but at the same time, who cares? It's all about playing games. You know, if you want to play them, they're there. Uh, so yeah, definitely BonesCon I'd recommend. And the fact that we'll be there in some capacity, uh, well, that will only make it better, right? Exactly right. Um, I've been to three of them. Um, so I'm sort of the same ones you went to, and yeah. um, it was always always great, great atmosphere there, and um, a lot of games, a lot of good people, and I think I think it being now multiple systems is great. Um, it's always fun seeing it's always fun seeing different sort of ecosystems come together, and it's also a good chance to experience new things. Absolutely right, absolutely right. Um, um, I know, for example, when Killball was there the first year, we had a lot of exposure because people who weren't necessarily familiar with the game uh, got to sit down and play it for the first time and really enjoy what the game was. Um, and it's obviously evolved a lot since then. And that was way, exactly as we said, that was way, way back before. Um, but even so, we've we've since expanded. You know, it's since taken on its own life, exactly as everything has in the Gilball universe. And um, I think, obviously, you know, some of those people are still here with us, which is fantastic. Any more plugs, um, Jason? <laughs> are you sponsored by anybody else that. today? Um, uh, we have our Patreon, um, of course, which we have literally some people on it um it's because the great promo video or audio you have for it that really is a fantastic advert we'll put that in now unbeknownst to most people podcasts cost money to produce especially if you've got jason on that podcast and he goes on a bit these poor individuals are somehow of the opinion that you want to hear them that their opinions matter to you and somehow somehow improve your gameplay. If, for whatever reason, you feel like supporting these poor, accursed individuals, sworn to be able to produce content for your benefit, you can do so through Patreon. 
for just one dollar, you will be classified as a mascot and entitle you to one knowing wink or nod from a cast member, if they know who you are. For five dollars, as a goalkeeper member, you'll gain access to the additional bonus time singled out feed, giving you more content that will build up in the app of choice before eventually being deleted. As a defensive midfielder at $10 a month, you'll gain a set of condition dice, allowing you to mark and annotate information that you've already got some way of recording, as well as all of the other features currently listed. At $20 and as an attacking midfielder, you can have a black singled out t-shirt and have access to opinion polls that Jason will never read and Andrew will obsess over compulsively. At captain level, well, frankly, you can have a t-shirt of any colour you like. You can access opinion polls that people will read and pay attention to. And if you ask really nicely, Andrew will probably bust a nut over the object of your choice. These people are sadly afflicted by a cruel and unusual compulsion to spend late at night ignoring loved ones and friends and even the subject matter that they're talking about to bring you information that may or may not enrich your lives. Frankly, you have the power to help these people. And from just $5 or $1, frankly, they will gain a sense of accomplishment that maybe, maybe out there, Someone is listening. Yeah, I love that. I love saying that. Um, so, um, Jason, do you want to talk about it? Go on. What, the Patreon? Yeah. yeah it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um, it's a way of supporting the podcast. We do some bonus episodes. We do about two, about two a month. Get on board and, um, and help support us because the podcast requires, uh, uh, you know, somebody to host it, um, somebody, somebody to buy Jason a microphone and to buy me a new one after the last one got lost at SteamCon. Um, and, yeah, so back to the Patreon, uh, uh, $5 a month, basically, you can get access to our bonus content. I think we have 14 episodes currently online. We do um, two a month. So if you, for some reason, like this content or like hearing Mike Gilball by being a member and supporting us, you could hear more Gilball, um, which was nice, I think. And um, and I've got things to say about it. I'm just going to so, say, having come back from America, America, the land of the hard sell. That was possibly the most English advert I've ever heard in my entire life. It was, it was, it was, it was lovely. It was bloody marvellous, dear. Well, I, hate, I, hate I love the fact that you say, because, um, if you like Gilball, you know, it, uh, like you've listened to an hour and a half of people talking about Gilball, <laughs> but <laughs> well, I don't mean too hard about it because you know people probably be a bit insulted if you start being hard selling about it and being mean and saying you should support us because you're a bad person if you don't, you know. So. I think the the honest answer is if you're interested in well if if you're interested in Gilball and you think these jokers do a good job talking to you about it and entertaining you then consider supporting them so they can carry on doing that because Thank you, they're sure. really nice guys and because that way they can continue to have people like myself and Russ on the show to talk to you about the game that you love and they love and that they're desperately trying to convince you is a good idea to give for you to give them money about that's much better than my apologetic um way of saying it that's all right um, i mean i would i wouldn't record that i'd probably get the other guys to do it because he did it in a much more sort of you know sexy film voice it was good you should get bryce oh, to record you one everyone loves a scottish accent i thought he was welsh <laughs> with captions <laughs> when did he change to scottish oh that was great that was fucking tumbleweed <laughs> that's the Sorry. pause where don't take that pause out Make it longer. Yeah. It's going to be very hard yeah. to do that, but I will get doing it. <laughs> we, we, we may have we may have potentially gone off the uh, far too far from the beaten path to even see it anymore. But um, <laughs> there we are. Sorry, right, thank, you, thank you for your time, guys. It's been great having you on again. And um, I, th- I can, thought can, of one can... more thing we should oh, say. Go. Yes. I think it would be remiss of us if we didn't say congratulations, Botsy. Like he won the World okay, Tag Championship. Yes, sorry, went um, three tournaments in a row. Isn't listening to this podcast, um, so we can say anything we want about it. Um, you know, but, it's disingenuous of us to not mention, regardless of what the people and community think about X, Y, and Z. He did it. He took what he thought was best. He won the, all three events. That's, a, that's an achievement. It's that's clear. A lot he played like an absolute machine, and well, well, don't get to yeah, I'm, I'm an extremely good player. So well done. I, I met Alex for the first time this weekend, just been, and I will happily say that he is a really, really nice guy. Um, I never met him before. He was he's 
very personable. He's a very, very nice guy. And I can confirm he definitely did work his absolute arse off to try and become the best player in the world. Uh, and it's good to see that recognized in terms of victory um, because, you know, he hasn't just opened up a box or a team and started playing them this weekend and somehow then switched to victory. He's been playing that that team. He's been proxying it and practicing with it and working out what he wanted like to do since... But since the season three book came out, he's been working very, very hard to become. He probably has more hours player. on that team than anyone, and that probably includes playtesters and developers. And therefore, that's the reason why you win things because you're practice, because you work hard to get to where you need to be. Uh, there are no easy win buttons, and that's simply what it is. And it's just a shame we didn't manage to see Charles Nurse. Charles Nurse have played to play him on the stream. Uh, no, but if you can if you can pin him down, if you can get to him, you can ask him about the Charles Nurse and Charles Nurse podcast, which will be coming soon. Really? What? Well, we might as well retire then, because we're not going to be able to compete with CN3 uh, TM. See, uh, you wanted spoilers, guys. That's there it spoiler. is. Let's end on that one. Is that, that, is that an official? Oh, well, we're done. Thanks a lot <laughs> for listening, guys. Don't bother. Out. Thank you for listening to us for yeah. the past 55 episodes. Been a good run, guys. Yeah. yeah. This is our black box recording. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, follow me at singled underscore out GB uh, if you want to. Well, the nowadays no point because our podcast is now dead. Yeah, we're we're not even like the hundreds best podcast anymore. We're just we're not even a podcast. Uh, follow we're Jason some... on Twitter if you want to at whatever he does. I don't know. Don't care anymore. Yeah, and I was just going to say, just go to the Gubs. That's normally where I'm posting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, additionally, on, as uh, Sherman's Agenda. Um, otherwise, Gubs is always a good place. Gubs being uh, the um, Gilball um, Facebook know that. They're listeners to this podcast. They must know what Gubs is, right? Yes, it's fair point. Yes. Well, I'm thinking of yeah, fair point. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. If you don't know what Gubs is, it's the Gilball Supporters Facebook page. Good, because yeah. I, I couldn't remember what it stood for then. Um, imagine, imagine if they're listening to this and they don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, I guess. What kind of a niche do they live in? <laughs> they well, thought this go. was a dating podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.